HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. One House is a recruitment firm providing a tailored talent search to hospitality operators throughout the country. Empowered Hospitality provides human resources services to the restaurants and hotel sector, empowering operators with knowledge, guidance, and time. Together, we are Recruit, Retain, Relax. Wow, that is a catchy tune. Uh, it definitely is. Every time. A big shout out to Tammy Hart, um, who made that lovely jingle for us, who just had a baby, Rocco, two days ago. So big up for Tammy. Congratulations, Tammy. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to Recruit, Retain, Relax with yours truly, Mike Hewitt and Sarah Deal from Empowered Hospitality. Our goal with this show is to enlighten, uncover, dissect, and explore the current staffing dilemma. Uh, as it pertains to the hospitality sector, right? What's changing, what's trending, and how can operators react and adapt? So we'll tackle the recruitment and retention of talent and the intangible quality of life variable as well. Sarah and I take this topic pretty seriously. We both lead national recruiting and human resource consulting companies servicing the industry, anything from fine dining down to fast uh, or fine fast sectors as well. Um, We're going to start off uh, introducing Beatrice Stein who is here with us today, a New York City-based restaurant consultant and strategist with more than 35 years of experience working with restaurants. We have Suzanne Dumain, ex-culinary director at Plated, turned entrepreneur and founder of Three Owls Market, revitalized take on the classic neighborhood prepared food shop and all-day cafe opening in the West Village this winter. Incredible location, great project. Can't wait for that one. Uh, we're going to kick it off with some questions on recruitment. So, and again, these you can answer at will. Uh, but as far as recruiting strategy, what do you think? Higher base salary makes more sense, lower bonus structure, or the inverse? Um, B. I'm going to tackle that one. Uh, it it very much depends on the client and how they uh, look at their operation. So if you're, if you're not a company that's numbers driven and that everybody on every management person on that payroll is involved in the P&L, then the bonus doesn't really make sense because you're depending on other people to get 
your mm-hmm. bonus for you. If that's numbers driven and that you everybody's involved in that, then the bonus makes sense because you're you're part of making more money for yourself, for the company and for yourself. So a lot of people do it in like the the chef, the director of uh, ops or the or the GM, the beverage director, those are the ones who really have the buyback, you know, the in, influx to mm-hmm to influence the the bonus so the bonus then for those positions makes sense um i like to recommend for my clients a kind of a a different model and that is to to show everything that the that the candidate is getting from the company in numbers so you have your base salary which is what everybody says and then they say well these are your benefits Mm -hmm. you get uh insurance and we cover full full insurance or half the insurance you get to, you know, two weeks off or 10 days PTO, you get, uh, you know, maybe dry cleaning, whatever, but they never show the numbers. It's vague, right? You it's never show like yeah. the actual amount. If you break it down yeah. and show them, you know, this is your base salary, this is your salary. Your insurance is this amount per year. Your, your benefits, your time off is this amount per year. Your, this is, you know, it, show them that. It's like your whole package is this amount, which is way above what is the base salary. And a lot of people don't do that and I think it's a I think it's a good way to show the manager you know what you're getting, you know what the offer is. And the what the offer. restaurant's investing in Exactly, in you, right? what yeah. they're investing in you. Yeah. So a follow-up question to that mm-hmm. which I find a lot is we could probably do a whole show on bonuses gone bad. Yes. <laughs> what do you see most frequently not done well pertaining to bonuses? The, they're just saying you're going to get a bonus on you know on sales or on this or that. It's, there's no structure mm-hmm. to it and there's no um sort of um metrics. parameters metrics yeah. or parameters to it and then it's just kind of like oh you didn't get a bonus and it's like but why or or it's arbitrary you know kind of thing oh well yeah we did well so we'll give you a bonus i think you have to really think it out if you're going to tell people that part of their income is based on bonus i think you have to be really clear about what is what it is that you need to do in order to meet that bonus so that everybody has that opportunity. And I think also transparency in the running up to awarding the bonus. Mm -hmm. Does that person know early enough that they can change their behavior to achieve the bonus? Or are they finding out at the last minute that they just didn't make it? They didn't make it, right. It's kind of like the yearly review. Even yeah. I mean, the same thing with like food costs or anything like that. If you wait till the end of the month, you blew it, right? You blew it, right. Cool. Um, Suzanne, any thoughts on salary versus bonus hybrid? Yeah. I mean, I'm in a unique spot in that this is my Mm -hmm. first crack at this. So thanks Beatrice for the advice, (laughs) (laughs) taking notes. Um, you know, and it's just me, I'm the sole owner. Um, so, you know, the way that I've been thinking about this is, you know, the roles that I bring on, those people are going to be really huge part of my team. And in terms of salary, I want people to feel like they're, you know, being paid what they feel they deserve, what they are asking for, um, and going into it with that. And I don't want the bonus to feel too much like a dangling of the carrot, the sole motivator. So I think a bonus should certainly be there, and especially year one, certainly be part of the reward. And it's something that we all share in, and the metrics are very clear, but it should feel like a hard-earned reward um, rather than the sole motivator of sort of hang in there. And to your point, I think there can be, you know, a vague, you know, 
yeah, you know, is, is this happening? Do, is it not? If, Where discretionary, am I free for all. Yeah. Yeah. If we do well, you'll you'll make a bonus. Well, what yeah. is well? Like, and what where, is a bonus? Like, what is the bonus? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I've seen a lot of that. True, true. That is perhaps a little bit on the old school, right? Where they didn't have any structure whatsoever. They call it discretionary end of year bonus. I'm like, that doesn't mean shit. Right. Sorry. You know, you have to really structure it. Okay. Right. You know, per quarter, performance, DOH, labor, cost control, something. So that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. What about titles? And again, back in, to the recruiting bit, right? How important are titles? And have you seen a little bit of a new way of looking about titles, maybe a little bit more creative titles? Right. Yeah. Um, it's funny because we're just having this conversation that there are like wacky titles out there, like <laughs> chief people person, chief friendship officer. <laughs> I'm like, Have okay, uh, I think that's HR, but I'm not sure is it HR. I seem to be very creative with HR titles mm-hmm. lately. Um, anyway. <laughs> Make it sound uh, more I'm, glamorous. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm looking at, at Sarah on this, <laughs> this one. Um, yeah, I think titles matter maybe on a resume more than it matters in like actual life of what you're doing. If you're given sort of your job description and your role and what your responsibilities are, what's the difference, at least from my perspective, what's the difference in the title? But I understand that when you're going out for another job and you've got, you know, people are looking at your resume, those Mm -hmm. titles mean something. So like the difference between a supervisor or a manager, you might have exactly the same responsibilities, but one restaurant calls it a supervisor, another calls it a manager. When someone else looks at your resume and it says supervisor, that's a lesser position than Mm -hmm. a manager position. So I think titles in when you're trying to move forward or move on make a difference. But I think in in the realm of what you do, your job description is... Yeah. yeah, defines you. But. I, I see sometimes candidates are sensitive to that. They psychological more than anything. They yes. feel that they don't want to be taking a step back if they have in a director role, and they might have an incredible GM job mm-hmm. that is roughly similar in, in responsibilities, but for them it almost feels like a step back because of the title, right. right? And that's where we have to go back to the client sometimes and see if we can massage that right and, and appease them in that sense. Right. But um, the flip yeah. side of that too, which has become more important given the salary ban law that was just implemented recently is just explaining exactly what the role functionally will require. And in that sense, I agree with B. Title really doesn't matter. And title can also misdirect the conversation in a way that's really potentially harmful. So you hire someone and call their position a director because you want to appeal to a higher level of candidate well, when they come in, they discover that the actual function of that role mm-hmm. is not that of a director. Right. And Misleading. We yeah. talked in yes. a couple of earlier shows about authenticity in the interview mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. and not selling something that's not reality. So fundamentally, to me, that's what it boils down to. Right. Yeah. Nice. I think there's so much fluidity now, too, and so many different types of food businesses that you have people jumping all over. And I think that's probably why there are now so many types of titles um you know even for me i've been amazed at how much the title has mattered in hiring mm-hmm. um you know when i was looking for a head chef role i'd call it you know it's like oh, maybe it's more of a culinary director mm-hmm. and the types of people applying for that versus i ended up changing it to head chef it yeah. was so different um but yeah it's like the responsibilities did not change but people's perception those two roles i was i learned very quickly it was very different 
I like what B mentioned before, though, which I hadn't really thought about. It's like going back in time. Once you do have that title, let's say you're in that role for a couple of years, and then moving on to a new role, whoever that hiring party is looking at your title, that might be right confusing or it might not match with what they're looking for, even though you did the, the same responsibilities. So that's kind of interesting, too. But again, new workforce, millennial friendly. Right. Right? You want to have some titles that weren't even around a couple of years ago. And maybe it is to attract a new type of employee. But they, at the end of the day, you have to keep it real. right? Yeah. I mean, we often think about the title in terms of marketing specifically. And mm-hmm. if we've posted a position that isn't getting a lot of traction, we may even go back and modify the job title slightly mm-hmm. while still being, being realistic mm-hmm. to see if we can attract a different group of employees. And I think as long as it's in the framework of reality and you're explaining what the position entails, it's actually an interesting way to appeal to some of those millennial workers who might be interested in a more kind of Google-esque title. Yes. Love the millennials. We'll get to them later on. <laughs> yeah. but, what yeah. are, but what do they search for? In other words, if they're looking for a, the, I don't know, let, you know, an HR position, if you're looking for an HR director position, do you search for HR director and then does chief people person come up? Like how? It's more of a, a bigger net. Yeah, because yeah. you literally put in those words and that's right. what you're going to get. But with some of the job boards where you can just literally just scour, go down a couple pages, mm-hmm. right? And something might pop up, right. right? You're just flying through these ads and you see something that's something cute, right? right. You're like, oh, what's this, right? And then sure enough, you know, right. so it's a little bit of a bait, you know, to, to, to have them click. Right. Um, so that's, I think that's part of the strategy, right? Well, and I would say the use of keywords becomes more important too, because if someone's searching an ad and you're using keywords in the body of the posting, you can still attract people mm-hmm. looking for an HR director role, even though it's called chief friendship officer was yeah. one that <laughs> I just love. I think I that, that I might change my title to that. Friendship. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Um, so... Uh, what about frustrations? What are the biggest frustrations in your recruiting efforts? Obviously, B, you work with different restaurant groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a, a huge spectrum, right, from fine dining you know, to, to more casual dining. What have been some of those things that you've noticed when you were helping out with recruitment mm-hmm. that were like, damn, this is really annoying? People who don't show up. Okay. You, you actually... Commitment. You, you go back and forth. You make... You read the resume, you, you reach out to them, you maybe talk to them, whatever. You make an appointment to meet uh, or a phone call, and people either don't pick up the phone on the t- time or they, don't, or they don't show up. It's like, really? <laughs> I mean... And like high levels. We're not even talking about like a low level, we're entry about level. High level. Yeah. Like the higher the level, the more frustrating it is. Of course. As, as you go down and it's an hourly position, you're like, okay, uh, you know. Okay, move on. But I have managers who don't, who are wow. applying for management positions who do not show up or answer the call. For and that I think for me that's the biggest frustration is mm-hmm. don't waste my time. Just it's uh, there's a million ways to communicate nowadays. Is that a recent development? No. So it's <laughs> it's always been the case that people don't show up. Yeah, like let's see, it's been. F- four years since I was in a corporate environment and even then when I was there and doing all manager interviews I'd have interviews like every hour you know when Mm -hmm. I was looking and I'd say out of six interviews three of them wouldn't show up Mm. wow 
I'll be on the lookout for no shows. Yeah. I, wish I would it, double up sometimes, literally, because yeah. I knew that, right, when I would do interviews and I'd be like, okay, I'd give myself 15 minute cushions, right. knowing that probably one or two people aren't going to show up, just not to waste my day. Otherwise, forget it. I wish there was a way, like, open table, like you had a record and, like, no show rate. And then you could tell nice. other, other, blacklist. other, yeah, like, black, well, I don't sure. want to use that, but, like, no show rate. So, like, tell other people, you know, like, okay, this person has a, a high no show rate. Nice. Yeah. There are, I think, some platforms that are either have developed that or are developing mm-hmm. recruiting platforms. Um, but I agree. I think that would be such a welcome tool. That and the and right. the fake resume thing. Oof. Oh, yeah, that's a lot right? of those. Total like lying on the resume and all that stuff. I would love to have like a little, you know, alarm, right? right? Anyone that looks at that resume, bing, yeah. bing, bing. Bing, bing, bing. Nice. Little red flag. Pinocchio. Pinocchio knows. Totally. <laughs> no, it's amazing. They can hide behind that. And sure enough, you have to do the digging and find out that that person never worked at this place, never had that job. Never. Right. It's like, are you kidding me? Or they me? were a bartender and they put they were the general manager. I yeah. love those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah they, they were the owner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Any uh, recent frustrations? <laughs> yeah, I think what can be frustrating um, is just... You know, it's almost like you go on a blind date and you just want to get to date three where you feel like you really know the person and there's right. just so much time that you have to put in past like, you know, just the surface questions. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, I just I I want to get to the heart of, you know, the big question that you can't sit there and talk to someone for eight hours. So there's just a lot of time put in and in the meantime, you're getting excited or getting nervous about the candidate. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's also personal. I mean, I'm going to work extremely close with anyone mm-hmm. that I hire. So I you, think do you wait a day or two before you call them back. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, honestly, sometimes I'm like, oh, don't respond too quickly. Yeah. Like play it a little cool. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, do you, do you create questions that are sort of unique that that aren't the truth? Because people who interview prepare their prepare their answers. Mm-hmm. If they're interviewing a lot, they they have prepared answers. So I always tell my clients to take very unusual questions that will throw them a little bit off guard, and you'll get to know mm-hmm. more about that person in that way. So yeah. that's my yeah. Get, you get can some weird questions in there just. Yeah, how they react. Yeah, you can sort of tell when people have prepared a canned answer, mm-hmm. and even sometimes you know it's not great, but you sort of cut them off at the end to ask the next question, and then they seem a little flustered, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how they. One of my my favorite, my icebreaker, like the first question right off the bat, mm-hmm. you know, when was the last time you had a you know a dinner at home, and what did you cook, and who came to your dinner, and they're just like, uh, you know, you see their face, like, uh, you know, I'm not talking like, about their skill set, I'm not talking about their past. Right. And right there you can see, are they hospitalitarians? Right. You know, do they have people over? Mm-hmm. Are they culinary driven? You know, are they sophisticated? Right. Right. So you learn like five things in one question. It's and you can also tell by their reaction by being thrown off guard. Exactly. I, fast I always, on their feet. Or fast on they... their feet. Can they recover quickly? Because in front of a guest, if they've guess is doing something or saying something, how will they react if they're thrown off guard? So it's yeah. kind of it's kind of a good good way to test there nice are there any other creative things that you've done to kind of get at the heart of a candidate oh that's a good question um i like to dig a lot on why they're looking to leave or certain things that they wish they'd changed about their could have changed about their earlier position or the 
food that they use to cook or anything like that. And that produces some interesting mm-hmm. answers. Um, and sometimes things that are very truthful that then sort of end up being a little bit of a red flag for you because they end up admitting things that you're like, ooh, now that you've said that, I think yeah. we might be done here. Um, <laughs> but I think when you start, because people, how they handle that question, I think has been really revealing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Me. And also, you know, there's two types of people, people that are unemployed and looking for the next gig and others that are currently employed. So that question might be interesting to see what are they not getting where they currently are, Yeah. right? That they feel the need to be interviewing, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's something that you could address with your current culture. Mm-hmm. I have asked too, similar to your question, Mike, I have asked, you know, you have six friends coming over for mm-hmm. dinner tomorrow and yeah, what, do you make? what are you going to make? What wine do you serve? Like something. Yeah. It's a fun one. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I think one thing I always look for is just a sense that you're getting below the surface. And I think you can tell when generally with the, the more negative or constructive answers, you can tell if you're getting a little bit of an honest picture of someone, something they've struggled with, maybe a relationship that hasn't worked for them professionally, um, something they didn't enjoy about their prior employer. I think those are the questions where you really, Mm -hmm. uh, you understand what they don't want, but you also get below the surface in terms of, you know, what, what has been challenging for them and how did they react with that adversity? Right. Nice. Well, I think we're going to flip over to retention, right? We've talked a little bit about the recruitment side. Obviously, that's a crucial element, right? Finding the right people for your operation that makes sense culturally. But what do you do once you have them and how do you keep them there, right? All right. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) So turning to retention, which is the other side of the coin from recruitment, which we've been focused on for the first part of the show, I'm curious, and this is a very big question, but I want to understand how you approach retention in terms of building a work environment that employees view as a long-term home for them. And from B, how you work with your clients to develop that type of environment. And then for you, as far as this environment that you're creating and will be launching in the near future, what do you feel will set it apart as a, a true home for your employees? So either of you can dive in. <laughs> I'll dive in. Um, you know, you said home and home is very much something that I'm trying to create in this new venture. I want Three Owls Market to be a home for everyone in the neighborhood and it should feel like a home for the employees as well. It is their home. I mean, they're going to spend eight or more hours of their day there working in close quarters. It's not an office. Um, I think ownership is huge. I think no matter what your role is, you should feel that you're heard, whether it's your own personal goals, no matter what your job is there, that you're learning, that someone is listening to you if you have a problem or you don't feel supported, um, that you feel you're part of a team, that you know what the why is behind what you're doing, that you can work up to having some responsibility you know, beyond what maybe your role originally called for and just feeling like we're all part of a team making this happen because it is, you know, it's a little baby startup. And, you know, my past boss at Plata did an amazing job of supporting everyone and you never missed a weekly one-on-one. And I don't see why the restaurant industry, you know, yes, the hours are absolutely insane, but, you know, maybe it's even just 10 minutes, you know, every week Mm -hmm. to just check in with each person. I think, I hope that's what will help me to make everyone feel mm-hmm. at home. 
And you had a pretty long tenure with Plated. So I'm curious for you, how did they keep you engaged? Like, what was it that kept you from feeling stagnant? Um, Because four years is a fairly long time in the world of hospitality. Yeah. Um, And it's funny, my my whole team, like we have the strongest retention of any team there, the culinary team. Um, and I think it was that I did feel heard all the time. Um, I was encouraged to take risks and grow in my confidence and speak up more in meetings. And I was, you know, if there's something I wanted to try, I was always given the green light to go ahead and try it. And I was supported along the way. Um, and I think just given the nature of that business, there's constant opportunities for creativity. I mean, you're putting out a crazy amount of food, sending it across the country every single week. So I think, you know, and that's something that I'm excited about with a market concept too, is just the potential for this ever-changing menu. So the chef side of me is like totally, you know, just ready to geek out about Mm -hmm. all the recipe development opportunities. Yeah, that's great. V, how about you? So I have clients that uh, come to me in all different phases. So the the thing that I think is important in all of them for retention is understanding like who you are and what's your mission and who you who you want to be and then making sure you communicate that to everyone from the very first day and 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 continuing that message all the way through like what are your goals what is your mission what you know what are your beliefs on food or beverage or service or whatever it is what is it that you want every single guest to feel when they pass through your establishment. A lot of people don't think of that. They're just like, they focus, you know, on the decor and the food and the beverage, but not about the employee aspect who are representing you in in all of these aspects. So I think that is one of the biggest things is really, really deciding, like, who you are. And then I think the other... The other thing, and you touched on uh, on a couple of these, is that making people feel like you care about them. I, I always tell my clients that your staff is your first guest. And if you don't treat them well and take care of them, the trickle down is that they won't take care of the guest. If you're not listening to them, if you don't care what they have to say, if you're not care about who they are, they're not caring about your guests because no one's caring about them. It's a trickle down effect. So, um, you know, you have to listen to them and let them be heard and and care, you know, is something wrong? Why is your behavior changed? Why are you late when you never used to be late? Like, what's going on? I mean, you have you have to to take care of them. And so I think when you do that, then people are buy into your concept, who you are, and and to the organization, and then they want to stay. They don't want to go somewhere where their other friends are saying, "Oh, nobody cares about us." They're not. They're why would I go work somewhere else when I'm really being, you know taken care of and heard Mm -hmm. so I think you know retention is really about taking care of your really caring about your staff as if they were a guest and ultimately a lot of you know your staff they're looking up right to ownership and Mm -hmm. that's where some of that likability factor comes in Mm -hmm. you know it should never be a popularity contest right they're not your buddies right Mm -hmm. they're employees but having respect for you know the people above Mm -hmm. and then actually rooting for them you want ambassadors of your brand that are actually rooting for you as an owner, right? right? So if you treat them well and with respect, right. that should kind of, in turn, right. Right, get the wheels in motion. So I often hear the word family used mm. when employees speak about their work environment. Mm-hmm. 
family meal. I used the word home, actually, when I asked you the question, Suzanne, Mm -hmm. and I think I did it unintentionally, but it raises the point. Mm -hmm. Is family the right word to use in terms of how you want employees to consider Mm -hmm. their workplace? Or is there another word or concept that better illustrates what we should be shooting for? Sure. I think family is a... um, Oh, it's a, that's a tough one. So f- right now in the way the environment is in, in all of our restaurants and in the world and Me Too and everything else, I think um, people becoming too familiar mm-hmm. is is can be uh, construed as inappropriate. I'm not sure how to word that. but um, And I think that maybe family makes people really comfortable and which is great, but on another aspect, then some people become too comfortable Complacent. and too familiar, mm. and that's where inappropriate behavior can come. So, um, I'm I'm not sure if family is the right word, but you want to feel like you're part of something that's really everybody's together and strong and a collective, a collective, a team, yeah, community, brigade. community, mm-hmm. something. Um, but you know. You spend so much time at work, especially in the restaurant industry, whether you're an hourly employee or, or ma- obviously management, that you, know, you spend more time with these people that you work with than you do with your blood, real family, your real family <laughs> or your friends. So it, it becomes very intertwined. And you go through the trenches together, like rushes and hard times and fires and burning and rough guests. And, and so it makes you closer and it makes you kind of like, um, camaraderie that's that's really strong, and then you know, you, and you get through it, and then you go out drinking afterwards. And so I, you know, I think that there's um, it's where the lines get blurred, and where we have to find a way nowadays to kind of um, mm-hmm. kind of a little bit unblur those lines. It, it is a high intensity familiar. gig for sure, and it does create and strong emotional. bonds. It's yes. all it's similar to military in some to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're going through this incredible experience you know micro experience every day right every shift's different and you're going through all these ups and downs and that does tend to bond people together Mm -hmm. um but i agree with you i think the family aspect of it you know um it could be could lead to other things that might not be um kosher right now i mean unless your organization is very clear on what's appropriate and not appropriate and then and you Mm -hmm. keep it that way and don't let it blur because you know it's New Year's Eve or whatever. Mm-hmm. Shift and, drink. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so it's, it's yeah. It's, Nothing good ever came out of a yeah, shift drink, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Just one little tip here. There, <laughs> there's a lot of babies born out of a yeah. shift drink. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, a challenge that I think about a lot is because I'm opening this sort of like little essentially mom and pop to start out with and there's not an overarching corporate you know, restaurant group or corporate culture that's already there is how do you keep and maintain those lines? You're working physically in very close quarters and you do care about people, but at the end of the day, you're an owner and you need certain results and you need things to happen. And if someone is not doing what you need them to do, but you, you know, now care deeply about them on a personal level, it's going to be a very difficult situation to navigate. So, great. Thank you. Um, So one last question. We're going to turn to finance now for the last question on retention. Thinking about uh, retention or on the flip side, turnover. 
Do you see an increased awareness that turnover is a real cost to a business? And if so, how do you find people are talking about turnover cost these days? So with corporate or multi-unit, the, the higher-ups understand that it's costing them money, but the people in the trenches, like the, the location manager who's hiring, is not aware of that. And except that, you know, like we've got a lot of turnover and it's costing us money, but they don't really understand, I don't think, at, at least from my experience with the clients that I've had, that they're aware of what that really means. And so I find that training people to how to how to interview and hire appropriately is the way to sort of start start the stop of the bleed of that um if that makes sense is mm -hmm. that you, proactive proactive it, what happens is managers hire to fill a slot on their schedule and they don't really get to know the person and spend and it's not eight hours but like asking the right questions or finding out and they're not maybe skilled in interviewing and so then what happens is that they hire the wrong person because they've got because the body came in the door and they need to fill the slot on the schedule and then that person doesn't work out and then the, the turnover goes and and management is saying why do we have a high turnover rate we're a good company we offer these things and they're not seeing sort of where the baseline of that is coming from and so I think um, there's a discrepancy between upper management and sort of the supervisors or managers that are hiring at the store level. That's a good point. I think selection is a, is a key part in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Again, luckily for one house, right? Uh, that sometimes means bringing a recruiter, whichever company, but right. someone to help vet mm -hmm. to at least make a better educated decision, right? With a third party right. to make your chances, right? A little bit better that that person is the right fit. So. Right. I'm curious also in the running up to opening Three Owls Market, are you thinking about building turnover cost into your labor model or how are you thinking about um, retention and kind of the financial impact of that? Well, now I'm sort of... <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, in what I've learned is there are certain costs that you can predict running up to opening and then... Once it's open, it is just so unpredictable, especially for me. It's a newish, you know, it's a new concept, you know. It's so I just have no idea and it's hopefully something that I can adjust for as soon as I am opening because, you know, even just my guesses for how many hourly employees I need, it's just, it's that, it's a guess. So mm -hmm. there'll be a lot of Q1, well, for us, will be a lot yeah. of a quick scrambling um, and adjusting. But mm -hmm. yeah. B, do you have any advice? Um, yeah, just choose really vet the person and have more than one person interview. So you get two mm -hmm. opinions. Yeah. That really helps. I, th I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You definitely want to have a couple gut impressions and right. sometimes one person might be right, right on the butt on the money. And right. sometimes the second person says, you know what, here's a one or two red flags. Exactly. It just helps balance off each other. Right. Um, as opposed to just one person, you know, spend the time and the money up front, like preparing for the interviews and then interviewing and the if you hire well then your retention will you'll you'll have better retention. on the flip side without getting too negative but right. when things go south at least try to learn from that experience right what right. is the learning curve there right. what happened why didn't this person fit right so that you obviously don't stumble on that again right yeah, yeah i think we know industry-wide turnover is about 70 percent it varies year to year but that's mm -hmm. fairly consistently where it's been so when we 
uh, assist with a new opening, we hire a lot of the hourly staff, we predict 15 to 20% turnover mm-hmm. in the first 30 days. So we over hire by that many people. Yeah. And it's turned out to be fairly accurate, barring anything totally unpredictable mm-hmm. in the environment. So. I agree. Excellent. Great. Well, well, with that, we're going to take a quick Yeah, we're going to do a little breaky break. break. I know you guys at home are dying to hear that jingle again. So I here am. it comes. <laughs> table begins long before the glassware is polished, before the china is set, spotless on the table. Setting the table begins with selecting the right people for your team. Everything flows from the expertise, innate hospitality, and critical thinking of the people who act as ambassadors to your guests every day. With One House, a recruitment firm providing a tailored talent search to hospitality operators, finding the right people is a simple recipe. One House identifies, contacts, and interviews prospective talent and conducts pre-hire reference checks. One House also assists in curating chef-tasting menus and liaises between candidate and operator throughout the interview process. Empowered Hospitality delivers human resources solutions to growing hospitality companies, presenting solutions that empower owners and operators with the knowledge, guidance, and time to better grow their businesses. Empowered Hospitality Solutions include a fully outsourced HR department, a la carte recruitment, compliance, and HR hotline services, training and education, and strategic advisement. House is a recruitment firm providing a tailored talent search to hospitality operators throughout the country. Empowered Hospitality provides human resources services to the restaurants and hotel sector, empowering operators with knowledge, guidance, and time. Together, we are Recruit, Retain, Relax. And we're back. So I know... We ended with finance, and we figured you could use a little relaxation after that. So <laughs> thank you. We have a a quick fire for you. We're going to ask you a couple of unrelated, challenging, Random. mind-bending Uh-oh. questions, and we would love for you to give us your brief one-word answer. Okay. To each of these questions, so, and none of them are one-word answers, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one word only, please. Uh, <laughs> First question, Airbnb or hotel? Hotel. Hotel. Really? Oh, Mm. yeah. Interesting. Amenities? Concierge? What is it? All of it. Yeah? Someone makes your bed. You can order room service. Chocolate on the pillow. Chocolate on the pillow. You've got the gym there. You've got... Lap of luxury. Yeah. Pool, whatever. Yeah. All right. Surprising. All right. Next question. When you're traveling... Trip advisor for restaurant selections, yay or nay? Absolutely never. I have to say yay. All right. But I, I have to add more words. 
Yeah. It is because I use it as a like third or fourth check against what I've okay, already good. found to corroborate my story. Nice. Okay, so it's like a little backup, right? Just yeah. to make sure you're not... That's not a number one. Exactly. Because it really is as, as easy to walk into a crappy restaurant than a good one. And if you don't have any kind of backup, right? Usually you go mm-hmm. for friends or other platforms out there, mm-hmm. and then you got TripAdvisor. All right. So where is Split. your primary source of information, if not TripAdvisor? Uh, for me, I... I mean, if I'm, like, planning ahead, I usually look at, like, um, um, Travel and Leisure, mm-hmm. Afar, Condonest Condé Traveler, yeah. uh, you know, bon you, fancy. Bit, you know, uh, <laughs> Food and Wine, and then Friends, mm-hmm. other sites, Eater, things like, depending on where I'm going. I depend more on that. I, I've never really been a fan of, sorry, trip. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's, it's not a paid sponsor, so you're it's good. good. <laughs> um, cool. Um, okay, here's a biggie, and obviously it's not a one-word you know, word answer, but tips included, yes or no? Oh, oh, man. I know, I know. We could spend an hour just on that, but your general gist of it. You're meaning like no... From whose perspective? Hmm, from yours, from a just-about-to-open-a-restaurant perspective. Do you include tips in the final bill? Do you play that game? Or do you do the traditional tipping? You know, I'm sort of purposely going after a model that does not force me to think about tipping at all. So Nice. Uh, Dodging the whole subject altogether. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so and then it leaves it on me, right? right. Okay. Um, I like tipping. And I think America is a tipping culture. Mm-hmm. And I think to whether the restaurants want to change it or not, I think we are ingrained in our society as tippers. Yeah. We tip the doorman, we tip our hairdresser, we tip, you know, the cab driver, the Uber driver. We tip, it's just our culture. It's an and education thing, right? To reverse that. Yeah. yeah I, I think it would be harder to change the consumer than it is the environment in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But I understand the hospitality included and i think in a in a high-end environment where you've got a fine dining establishment and you've got a set price already and instead of it being 300 per person it's now 395 per person because mm-hmm. the tips included that's not going to change mm-hmm. that consume that guess yeah that's true good point um last question uh our favorite millennials in hospitality, <laughs> misunderstood or lost cause? How do we feel about them? The future. Those are the only two options. Yeah, they're either you know, a shit show or <laughs> it's a game of just extremes. Trying here. to understand them. One way or another, we have to embrace them. So I think that saying they're a lost cause sounds very pessimistic and unfair. <laughs> so I will go with misunderstood. misunderstood. Hashtag misunderstood. I like that. That's trending <laughs> right now. I agree. Misunderstood. Nice. You see, we end with a happy note. I like that. So with that, you know, I'd like to thank Beatrice Stein and Suzanne Dumain for their insight, wisdom, and the visit to the Heritage Radio Network studio on the back of Roberta's here in Bushwick. Uh, just lastly, recom- uh, remind you, right, where you can actually hear this on heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, and now on Spotify as well. I'd like to thank our sponsors, One House and Empowered Hospitality, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank, Thank you, both. you. Thank you. Now, 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 now,
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.